Hi, everybody. Welcome to the June 15, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the announcement that longtime state budget director Henry Sobonet will be leaving his post to take the CFO position at Colorado State University. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, from what I've seen on social media is that Sobonet has, is respected on both sides of the aisle. I just heard a, a variety and saw a variety of uh, great glowing comments. Uh, what did you think about the reaction to his leaving his post? Well, it is unusual to have a public person leave and just get plotted across the way, but he really deserves them. He's done a good job. It is not the first person who will be leaving from Hickenlooper's administration and not the last, although Hickenlooper still has six more months in which he can make some changes. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, do you echo, from, from what you know and seen from Sobene's work, do you echo the uh, uh, applause, applause he's getting online? Absolutely. You know, not every economic forecast that was made came true that particular way, but that, that's the nature of the job. And in terms of giving you hard facts and figures for things that had happened, there was, he was widely respected for being very accurate, honest, diligent, super public servant. Um, as uh, Thomas Jefferson said about Roger Sherman, he never said a foolish thing in his life. Well done. We're only a couple minutes in the show. We already have a Jefferson quote. That is awesome. Uh, uh, Penn Field Tate, uh, attorney at QTech Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Penn, because of your lawmaking experience, I'll go right there. I know a state budget director is important. I know uh, they must do important things. But for the folks that say, why is this a big deal? Give us just a brief glimpse of why it's a big deal to have such a, a, a great person as a state budget director. Sure, a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, what happens in state government is you get two economic forecasts four times a year. You get one from the uh, Office of State Planning and Budgeting and one from your own Legislative Council office. Uh, and you typically, as a legislator, compare and contrast the two. Although I have to note, legislators will budget to their own forecast, not the one done by OSPB. But, but Henry Sobonet's strength was, to, to quote um, um, Joe Friday, he just gave you the facts. Um, he didn't put any partisan shine or twist on them. He just gave you the facts and let the policymakers make the policy based on the data that was available. Um, he was reliable, he was consistent, and he was always transparent and forthcoming. He was just, he was a good man to work with um, in, in that process because you knew you had solid data and you can, you, you may not always make the right policy decision, but it wasn't because the data was flawed. Ed Sealever from the Denver Business Show rounds out the panel. It's good to have you back. Ed, you're a guy on the Hill. Uh, what's your reaction, or what's the reaction from some of your key sources up at Capitol Hill? Well, I mean, as everyone said, Sobonet was widely respected. Uh, Penn makes an important point that uh, typically the legislature is going to budget to the Legislative Council forecast. That's the nonpartisan office that's going to do this. Um, because often the governor's uh, office usually has a far rosier budget uh, than that nonpartisan staff. Sometimes Sobene came in so conservative in predictions, he actually had the less rosy budget. And, and they ended up working with OSPB more so than the Ledge Council in those ways. I think that level of honesty is what you expect out of someone who worked not only for former Governor uh, Bill Owens, a Republican, but for Hickenlooper, a Democrat. And I think he will be definitely missed around the Capitol. With 11 days before primary election day here in Colorado, let's do a quick roundup on how the races are going. We've seen the negative ads increase on both sides of the governor's race and a Magellan poll that seemed to confirm Jared Polis and Walker Stapleton as front runners. Meanwhile, reports show that over 200,000 ballots have been returned so far, with nearly 50,000 of those from unaffiliated voters. 
Patty, the unaffiliated voter uh, mark has been the great unknown of this primary election. 50,000 is a big number. Now, I realize this is a small fraction of what's expected to come in for the entire primary election, but if those uh, percentages continue, that seems to be able to tilt some of these tight races. What do you think? Well, it definitely can tilt them. When we saw the most recent Magellan poll, that even with those who have already declared a party, four out of ten are still undecided, so you already have this big unknown with the registered party voters. But now with the unaffiliated, the only thing we've seen is that more of them are going are turning in Republican ballots than Democrat ballots so far. But Democrats could also just be tardy. I would assume that's more the case. So we could see a lot of swing coming in. You kind of understand why we're not getting a lot of polling information. There was one reference to a really secret, sneaky, no one can figure it out poll that had Kerry Kennedy in the front, but the Magellan poll looked like it definitely was solid at least in its, um, its, its surveying, and that P Polis is definitely running ahead, although not polling much further than when he first got into the race. But you still, again, have four out of ten of those Democrats undecided. So it could be a tight race. You see jockeying with Kerry, with um, Michael Johnston, and even Donna Lynn is pulling up some. So I think we could see some surprises, but I would be surprised if Polis didn't pull out on this. Uh, David, as you see the ads increase uh, from a variety of sources, it seems that both uh, Kerry Kennedy and Jared Polis are pretty powerful packs, uh, all putting out the different ads. And you're seeing Mike Johnson still putting out his own stuff, uh, Donald Lennon coming up from uh, behind with her own things. And we're also seeing Victor Mitchell get into the race with some pretty negative ads. Uh, do you think those are going to be influential? I mean, it's, it's a tight race. Uh, you don't, I'm not sure there's enough time for a lot of ground game. Uh, are the ads going to sway more than they usually do? Um, no, I think they'll sway about as, mu as much as they usually do. Um, in, in this kind of race where a lot of voters don't have maybe deep opinions on, on the various candidates and then people do those ads because because they work. Um, in terms of how unaffiliateds are going, it's you sometimes think like, oh, unaffiliateds, they're, you know, they're moderates, they're very undecided, they could go either way. As it turns out, among the group of voters who are independents, there's large numbers that are, some are Republican-leaning independents, but they just don't want to be in the party for one reason or another, and likewise, plenty of Democratic-leaning independents. So sort of the, the true number of swing voters is, is much smaller than the, the total number of independents. Um, one thing in terms of in truth in advertising, I did not attend the Western Conservative Summit, but I've spoken to people who did, and I was told that at that event, uh, Victor Mitchell was passing out literature with the his literature with the NRA logo on it, which is a trademark infringement and illegal, and was telling people that he'd gotten an A-plus from the NRA, which apparently must, he was thinking about his one race for state legislature, where he couldn't have gotten an A-plus, because that's only for an incumbent with a record of, of accomplishment, and his rating in this current governor's race from NRA is a question mark, because he refused to answer the questionnaire. Uh, uh, the candidates who actually got grades were Walker Stapleton got an A, Greg Lopez got an A, and Doug Robinson got a C, all of whom did answer the questionnaire, unlike Mitchell. Penn, with, with a tight race like this, uh, and, a, and it's a primary, you're, you're still going to have to focus on your party first. I get that. And not knowing exactly how much of an impact that unaffiliated voters are going to make, it's hard to say how much of your message should really go there. But in this case, when you're seeing such a tight race on the Democratic side, are you surprised we're not seeing more, uh, I guess, something thrown towards unaffiliateds to maybe take some of that, uh, less of the 
party base um, messaging? You know, not surprised because I think it's happening in other ways. I think when you look at Donald Lynn and Mike Johnston's commercials, they tend to try to pull at more unaffiliated voters. Carrie and Jared are engaged in this negative battle back and forth, sort of dealing with the far left end of the party, battling over teachers and unions and charter schools and the like. And, and once the teachers went negative, uh, it gave everybody else license to go negative about being negative, and so there you go, and you start spiraling down. Um, all of the campaigns are targeting unaffiliated voters, um, probably through their calling, through their lit drop, through their other programs. Uh, and, and the other thing that's interesting here is um, the numbers tell a story because unaffiliated is, what, 34, 35 percent uh, of voters here, and they're participating in almost 25 percent of ballots turned in so far. So that's a pretty hefty percentage. Uh, the other thing to be mindful of is I think unaffiliated in our state tilt Republican because what's happened over the years in Colorado is with Trump and with the religious right, you've seen more and more of what I would call traditional Republicans get fed up with the party and they go unaffiliated because they just don't want to deal with the nonsense anymore. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see more unaffiliated ballots come in on the Republican side of the race than the Democratic side of the race. Ed, you're immersed with all the politics side and uh, haven't had a chance to really contribute to on the, on the governor's race here for a while. Is there anything that we're missing about this race? Is there some underlying story that uh, us and our viewers need to know what's going on? Well, I think when we're talking about the polls, the underlying story that we're missing right now is the one that I'm being told by several people in the business community who have seen both business polling and polling from other groups. And that's not the race we're voting on June 26th, but the race in November. I mean, you see Polis, and, and, and everyone's kind of seeming to put Polis out by 10 to 13 points right now. Um, and, and it seems like most everyone has conceded the governor, that Walker Stapleton is going to win the Republican governor's uh, primary. Um, I'm told by somebody that they've done polling on matchups and that it, Polis uh, starts out with a four or five point lead on Stapleton, uh, which is basically a toss up at that point. Uh, Kerry Kennedy starts out with uh, quite a significant lead on Stapleton. And then if Michael Johnson, who's only been pulling around 10% in a lot of the polls we've seen, if he were to somehow pull out the Democratic nomination, he starts out with such a monumental lead, there were questions about how much money would come in on the Republican side of the race. Um, now, of course, that's just the inverse order of the way that the polling is going in the primary right now. And I think for so many years, we focused on Republicans and whether or not they want to elect an electable, they want to nominate an electable candidate or kind of a dogmatic candidate. That's because Republicans have had a lot of these primary matchups. Democrats have issued primaries for many years now. Now we're seeing them full on in, in this. And apparently they're starting to steal a page from the Republican playbook. And they're really trying to, uh, uh, to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, so I think that's the underlying story is that as people, I think the people who've gone to the polls right now already are the hardcore people who don't care about who fits who in November and, and what that'll mean. I think the, the ones that are left, especially the unaffiliates, might be thinking about that. Like, how can I get somebody into this race that will be the person that wins in November? Uh, and that is certainly not what the polls are showing uh, right now on the Democratic side. Should definitely be fun to watch. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock's office released a short list of the five finalists for the next Denver police chief. Hancock previously noted that he would pick the next chief from current or retired Denver police officers who held the rank of lieutenant or higher. The finalists include four commanders and one deputy chief.
David, what did you think about the stance just coming out first and saying we're going internal with an internal candidate, even before we know the internal candidates, we're going to go internal? Uh, I, I'm not sure, as personally as a manager, I would ever say we're going internal unless I had the one particular candidate. If, I, if it's going to be an open search, I guess I'm the type of person that says it should be open. What do you think? I think the, the mayor tried that before. They uh, brought in somebody, uh, Chief White, I think, came from, from Tennessee. Was it Louisville? Louisville. Kentucky. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right next to Tennessee, which borders more states than any other state does. Uh, <laughs> nine, right? <laughs> yeah. Nice state. Nine. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, and I guess in the mayor's estimation, that didn't work out very well, and they probably spent a whole bunch of money on some national search firm, all that stuff. So you, you can go outside or you can go inside. Outside didn't work, so now they're, they're going to try inside, and maybe that will work. I, I think the, the mayor has changes that he wants in the police department and maybe somebody who knows the department from the ground up uh, might have a better chance of implementing them. Of course, it would be better if the people had the choice uh, rather than having to uh, depend on the mayor uh, to exercise good judgment. That was a gimme on the uh, on the uh, David Copel CIO bingo thing. So don't be proud of hitting that that point today if, uh, with the elected uh, uh, police chief. Penn, what did you think about the move of uh, just going internal? I, maybe I'm being cynical here, but it seems that Mayor Hancock may have been tired of getting flack from the union and said, you know what, we're just going to go internal. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been cynical before. Well, you can be cynical and be right. I mean, that, that's, they're not mutually exclusive. No, I think the mayor was tired of catching flack from, from the police union. And, I, you know, part of what I'm hearing out there is people are a bit disappointed that he's, he began the search with that declaration. Um, there are some who, who believe that Chief White had his upsides and did some things that were necessary. You know, we've seen the problems in the Department of Safety. We've seen all of the, the lawsuits, the settlements, the judgments, and some of the morale issues. And there are a number of people in the community who felt that a change was warranted. And Chief White coming in from the outside was a positive thing. And I think many of those people feel that the need for that outside influence has not diminished, that you need to bring someone in because you still have a culture that many feel is in desperate need of rehabilitation and change. And so this seems to be a concession to the fact that, no, we're not going to try to change things. We're just going to let the dust settle right now and hope that nothing else pops up that we'll have to, to worry about. So the decision's been made. We'll, we'll see where they go. And it seems to me, and this is nothing against any of the five candidates, they, one of, any one of them might be a reformer, but it felt to me that if you have an internal candidate and that's where you're going to start, that reform is not a priority. And, and maybe it shouldn't be, but that's certainly as much as it said to me. What, what did, we're going internal here, so five internal candidates say to you? Um, I, I think that is a little bit of the message it sends there is that if not status quo, we're not needing a major turnabout here. Um, I, I think maybe, frankly, we've talked so much about the lawsuits that have been settled. Maybe it's a financial issue as well. I mean, to conduct a nationwide search for this can actually get pretty pricey. At least I know that from the corporate side of it. I'm sure it could be from the public side. Uh, this is going to save you money. Um, and, and, and third, it may just be, look, I have to you know, agree with what others said. Look, we tried outside. We're going to try inside right now. Hancock has got to be thinking in the back of his mind about the 2019 election in pretty much everything he does right now. And, and I think maybe this at least sends a signal of a Denver-first focus uh, without a high price tag to it, and that's got to go over a little bit better than some of the other options. 
Patty, what do you think about that? Is this a Denver first agenda for Mayor Hancock? Well, it's not a bad idea to look internally because not everyone in the Denver Police Department agrees with each other. I mean, there is a lot of dissension within the ranks. So I think you can get reform from within if you are given enough mandate and enough, uh, enough rule. Um, rope by the manager of safety, by the mayor. So I think it, it was a good idea to say we would look internally or at alumni, which was also an idea. I don't think it's time to have a vote for the police chief, but I do think public discussion would be great. I know community groups are already saying, can we have a forum where these five candidates speak? Can we ask them questions? And I think because we want to have accessibility and transparency, we should certainly have a series of talks like that. Be interesting to see if that happens. U.S. Senator Cory Gardner made headlines this week concerning his influence with President Donald Trump. Earlier this week, the president said that he would probably support Gardner's bill that would protect Colorado's marijuana industry from federal government interference. The bill aims to eliminate some of the obstacles faced by the industry, specifically its inability to work with federal banks. Penn, uh, does Senator Cory Gardner have President Trump's ear? I don't know if anybody keeps his ear um, more than a few minutes. To, to have Donald Trump say he probably supports something is probably not worth very much because he probably supports a lot of things in this span of a day, sometimes diametrically opposed ideas. At least the bill is out there, the, the issues on the table. I don't think the president's going to get Jeff Sessions to go along with any of this. He's pretty clear about his antipathy towards the, the marijuana industry, um, regardless of what different states have done. We'll see what happens. Um, I, I'm not at all optimistic that this bill is going to gain steam. I, I hope something like it does. We need to resolve this conflict between federal law and what the various states are doing, but I'm not convinced that, that the White House um, or this Attorney General are going to let it happen. Ed, beyond the pot legislation, do you think this does anything pro or con for Cory Gardner's uh, political capital here in Colorado? Gardner's really doubled down recently on his fight to protect the state's ability to sell uh, retail marijuana, um, which uh, I think actually alienates some on the far right side of his base. But when you're, th when you're Gardner, you're probably not worried about that. Uh, you're worried about how do I get that same middle ground of people in the 2020 election that I got to win the 2014 election. And, and frankly, you're looking at a much tougher year in 2020 it's going to be, you know, you're going to have a, a Republican president up for re-election, uh, you know, and if it's, you know, assuming it's still Donald Trump, uh, and I'll, I'll make that assumption for now, um, then you're looking at a president who right now is sitting with some pretty low numbers. So Gardner's got to do things to reach out beyond uh, just the Republican base in, in, in that point. So I, I think it, it, it may uh, help Gardner out more than it might hurt him. I, I think what should be interesting to see is, is this going to play in the governor's race? Because let's not forget, the most pro-marijuana gubernatorial candidate here is Congressman Jared Polis, who, by the way, just happens to be a House co-sponsor on this legislation. Um, does Polis bring this back up? Does he think that his outward support of legalized marijuana, of regulating the industry and bringing it into a more efficient state of operation could actually get him the voters he needs to clear uh, the, um, uh, the primary? Uh, I will be curious to see if this comes up more in the coming weeks in this primary. 
Patty, is Cora Garner the new poster child of support for the marijuana industry in Colorado? There are several poster children for that. First of all, last Friday, Polis was canvassing on Broadsterdam, down on South Broadway, and they specifically were getting out the vote at dispensaries or people who were near them. So Polis has identified that as a group. If you can bring them out, and I would say those are late voters, if you can bring out the pot voters, you will definitely do better. What a great photo op for Cory Gardner, though, which we could see again in 2020 if he's got competition. Elizabeth Warren and Cory Gardner together co-sponsoring. And the fact that when he was on his way to the G7 summit, Donald Trump talked about how he would probably pass this. I think that overcomes anything Jeff Sessions may or may not feel or say. He was at the Western Conservative Summit, and the word marijuana did not pass his lips. Presumably, marijuana didn't either. <laughs> Presumably. Uh, David, wrap it up for us. In a way, I mean, Gardner's the guy who faced down Jeff Sessions before and ultimately won that contest. And I, I think, it, in a way, it, it's helpful for the Colorado and, and other states, uh, both consumers and businesses, uh, and the principle of states' rights, that Sessions' standing is, is somewhat tenuous, so he does not have a bunch of extra political capital to burn uh, by uh, cracking down hard on, on states' rights. And I'd say good for Senator Gardner and Senator Warren. Too often people only respect states' rights when it advances the policy that they're in favor of. Gardner voted against, he was a very vote, you know, very clear opponent of the legalization, re-legalization initiative. Uh, but here he is defending uh, Colorado state's rights, and he has a, already a tremendous accomplishment in getting the president to endorse it, even, in, even though it's, may, who knows if that'll stick. That still uh, moves things down, and I think it makes it easier uh, for undecided Republicans uh, to do what's politically popular anyway and, and support that. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Well, Colorado and much of the West is looking at a very long, hot summer with already the horrible 416 fire out near Durango and others popping up around the state. So it, it with the, combined with the drought and really early fires, it's going to be tough. Well, especially that closing the entire forest. I think it's... it's uh easy for people to uh, forget what it takes to close an entire forest. That's a huge chunk of land that's just closed from public use this summer so far. David? Four million dollars in corporate welfare to Norwegian Airlines uh, for flying to Europe. I, I think um, actually the people, the taxes that people in Colorado pay should not be used to subsidize travel to Europe. People to Europe should pay the price of the ticket that the airline charges and DIA should charge all airlines the same fare uh, fees uh, without giving favoritism uh, to uh, transatlantic flights. At the very least, get some sort of Norwegian coupons in the mail, something, <laughs> something for our tax dollars. Penn. Uh, Paul Manafort earning a second indictment for tampering with witnesses based on his initial indictment such that now he looks at the prospect of having his bail conditions revoked and being incarcerated pending trial. Dumb and dumber. Ed. Uh, I'm going to go with an idea this week, and that is the initiative that's being brought forth in California to separate California into three states. Because I've always heard that if we need one thing, it's more Californias. Uh, and I realize that this would dilute that very heavy Democratic voting base, but it seems to begin with like this is a plan to stack the Senate with four more members of the same party. Uh, and just the idea of dividing up states is a strange one to me right now. I think we dealt with this in Colorado in a very limited 
did weigh in a few years ago. This one seems even worse. Time to see something nice about somebody. Patty? It is going to be a hot weekend in Denver in another sense of the word. Juneteenth right outside the studio, which is a great celebration every year. Pride Fest down at Civic Center and Denver Comic Con. When you are wandering the streets of downtown and you see who's on their way to Comic Con, you will know you're in Denver. I, I took the light rail to work today, and it, it's usually just a, a handful of people, students, Nick's, and I'm walking on with two guys dressed up as X-Wing fighters from Star Wars and some other, like, Comic-Con, right? It's nice to see everybody in town. David. Or it could be Independence Institute interns, for all you know. Either one. <laughs> well, I was on the other side of town, so I figured, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the World Cup being awarded for 2026 to the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, partly as a result of FIFA's uh, reforms where the, the World Cup was this time a vote, awarded by a vote of all 165 member nations rather than a secret ballot of the uh, highly bribed executive committee. Penn. I agree with Patty. Um, come on down to Juneteenth and enjoy the celebration. You've got the Pride Fest on Sunday and Comic-Con, what can I say? Although I was disappointed to see Darth Vader walking on 17th Street rather than floating down, uh, down the street. <laughs> he only floats when he's you know, disappointed in someone's faith. Okay, yeah, maybe he walks and he just starts <laughs> cruising. Ed. I had the opportunity this week to write about Michelle C. Witten and the incredible job she has done with a decade-long effort to raise awareness about Down syndrome, culminating in a 65% increase in the National Institutes of Health budget uh, for researching Down syndrome this year. Uh, this is a woman who got into it for very personal reasons. She has a 15-year-old daughter with the condition, uh, but a woman who calls it like it is and calls out those who, uh, especially in other countries, are looking to eliminate the Down syndrome population and instead says we need to treat people with compassion and a lack of discrimination. Very inspiring woman. Here, here. We have a something, say something nice from our own, very own Lynn Bartles, who now works at the Secretary of State's office. She mentioned that the election folks at the Secretary of State's office actually did an incredible job of really breaking down what reporters needed to know about the detail of the voter turnout. They created a much more detailed report about all the returned ballots. Initially, it was just the you know, how many different thousands of ballots are in. Now they've broken it down between uh, counties, gender, party, all the great stuff that I think a lot of reporters and folks are looking forward to. So she wanted to make sure that a shout-out to her election folks at the office happened. Uh, she loves them, and I think I can speak for all the different media in Colorado. We love their work, now knowing a lot more about the vote coming in for this historic primary election. And we also have a great treat for you later tonight at 9 p.m. You can catch our two semifinal rounds of both sides of the story. Our high school debate series, students from Denver East, Cherry Creek, George Washington, and Manitou Springs tackle topics regarding gun issues tonight. You do not want to miss it. If you have ever worried about the younger generation handling the issues of this world, tune in for these debates. Your faith in our future will be restored. That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Take CIO wherever you go. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, we are there. Check out our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And for everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.